Christ Community Church is called by the God of all grace. For the transforming of life in Middle Tennessee. Spiritually, socially, and culturally. Through the power of the gospel. From Franklin to the nations of the world. All for the glory of God. For more information, visit ChristCommunity.org. Christ Community Church members and friends in Franklin and around the world, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Yesterday, I came into the office in the morning to put the final touches on this message I want to share with you today, and I never got to a single bit of that preparation because information began coming into us that led us by noon yesterday to pull the plug on what we anticipated being gathered worship this morning and to move towards this online format. It is something which is unprecedented for us. And perhaps everything that's taking place right now, it can be said, is unprecedented in our lives. We've never before probably encountered anything quite like this. But you know what? It's not unprecedented in the life of God's people over the centuries. Peril, persecution, and plague, all of these, have been the experience of God's people through many years, and they bear witness to us about how we can live by faith in the middle of very challenging times. In fact, when Paul wrote his letter to the Romans, to these Christians living in that great city, they were only a few years away from suffering one of the most savage persecutions that would ever afflict the Christian church. Under the Emperor Nero, they were wrapped in oil-soaked cloths and lit to light the garden parties of the emperor. They suffered in so many ways. God's people have often suffered, and many are suffering now, along with friends and neighbors, because this particular affliction is not something which is only pointed, of course, at a Christian community, but is rather something which all of us share together simply as God's sons and daughters, His people, His creatures in this world. When Paul wrote to the Romans, he wrote pastorally to strengthen them for these difficult days, to assure them of God's great love for them and mercy towards them, and to help them know how to walk in this world in the midst of these great challenges, in the midst of great pain and great sorrow. There are lessons here for us. We need to hear this word from God this morning that He, because of His great love for us, will not let us go, and because of the presence of His powerful Holy Spirit will cause us to be, even in the midst of sorrow and pain, what the Scriptures call more than conquerors. So what do we have to consider here? Well, let's approach it this way. A couple of things in this text about our world. A couple of things about ourselves, a couple of things about God, and a couple of things about how we respond in the light of those realities. Here's a couple of things about our world we need to be reminded of. In this text in Romans chapter 8, just before the section that Janet read for us, he talks about the fact that this creation, this order that we live in, is groaning, that it is subject to futility, not by its own will, but Ever since the rebellion, the high-handed rebellion, the treason of humankind against God, the entire created order is subject to this kind of pain 
and suffering, it's groaning. This virus is part of that groaning. And every time mountains tremble because the tectonic plates in the earth collide, and every single time a tsunami comes ashore, and every single time a tornado blows, and every single time something like this afflicts the race, we hear again the groaning of creation that longs for the day when tears will be wiped away and sorrow will be no more. But this groaning is a present reality and there is no getting around it. You know, when Paul wrote to the Romans, life expectancy in Rome was 21. Now, of course, people did live longer than that, but the mortality rates, especially for little ones, was great. They were much more surrounded by death than we in highly technological Western societies are used to. It was much more, in a certain sense, present in their consciousness. We, because of advances in medicine and so on, have an expectation that we live longer. We can kind of push back against death and this groaning in the world, but it's there. And when we come into situations like this, we're reminded of that pain that is in the whole creation. And it's a pain we share in because not only is the creation groaning, it says that um, here in Romans chapter 8 that we also are groaning. That's true about us too. This world is groaning. And here's something else. This world is easily shaken. Now here we're using the world not in the sense of the created order but in terms of systems that are man-made financial systems, educational systems, even ecclesiastical systems, political systems, all of these things which have the appearance to us of being solid, being strong, the kinds of things we depend on. We just know they're going to be there, and suddenly they're shaken. In the middle of all of this, the other night, I turned on the tap uh, just before going to bed, no water. There was a, a water line broken out in the yard. So I was expecting water, suddenly no water. Throws everything completely up in the air. These kinds of things occur, and when these things that we depend on show their fragility, we are sometimes shocked and surprised. Maybe, maybe for some of you, how potent this particular crisis is came home to you last week when suddenly you saw the NBA had postponed its whole season, and you went, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'd come to depend on this. Then Major League Baseball cancels, and then the Masters isn't going to happen. And then, wait, schools are closing. Wait, the stock market is losing thousands of points. I thought I was going to retire this year. Maybe not. Everything we thought was solid is suddenly seen to be fragile. This helps us because we think that this world is so strong when in fact it is easily shattered. The systems of man will never endure, and we need these reminders. This is why the writer of Hebrews said to people who were teetering on the edge of abandoning the faith, you need to remember that you are part of an unshakable kingdom because God is going to shake everything that can be shaken. So here we are, living in times in which everything that can be shaken is being shaken. But the one thing that is not shaken is the eternal, everlasting kingdom of God, and you and I are members and citizens of that kingdom which is eternal, 
which has endured great sorrows and great affliction and great pain over many centuries and will endure into eternity. We are actually part of something which is more permanent, which is eternal, not temporal. And that reminds us that this world is not the place where we invest all of our trust. We actually, at times, need these disruptive seasons which remove the idols from our heart and cause us to come back to the one in whom we trust. But that tells us a couple of things about ourselves, doesn't it? Paul says in this passage that we are weak, that we don't know how to pray as we should. Have you felt that over the last few days? You go, I don't, I don't even know how to pray about this. I don't know what to do. I don't know what decisions to make. Where do I turn for help? I, I need so many things. I need hand cleanser. I need, I, I need all these things from the store. What am I, I going to turn? I'm, we're suddenly sensing our vulnerability. We're weak. What's God's answer to our weakness? God doesn't say to us, come on, you can do this. He doesn't say that. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says, the Holy Spirit helps our weaknesses. God's answer to our weakness is not more from us, but more from Him. He sends His Holy Spirit to intercede for us. We are weak, and we acknowledge that. In a time of great suffering, when people were wanting to put Him to death, and when plague was advancing across the European continent, the great German reformer Martin Luther in a meditation on Psalm 46, wrote these very well-known words, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Now, if Luther had just stopped there, you would say, that's the most despairing hymn I've ever heard. But he didn't stop there, because he's meditating on Psalm 46, which says, even if the mountains shake and tremble and fall into the sea, God is our rock. God is our confidence. He is our strong tower. So Luther went on to say, did we, in the face of all of this, did we, in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing we would be the greatest losers in history if it was on our strength. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus. It is He. Lord Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, the God of angels' armies. Lord Sabaoth, His name. From age to age the same. And He must win the battle. God doesn't say to you this morning, come on, I require more of you. He's saying, I'm coming with more of my spirit, more of my grace, more of my kindness, more of the supply of my mercy for you. The Holy Spirit is interceding with your weaknesses, and I'm going to win this. I'm going to walk you through this. I will be the one who is with you in the valley of the shadow of death, and you don't have to be afraid of any evil. This is the God who is with us. And that means, secondly, about us, that we're not only weak, we're beloved. We're beloved. Paul writes here in Romans chapter 8 that nothing 
can separate us from the love of God. Peril, plague, life, death, any of these things. Any of these kinds of afflictions which come upon us and all people. God holds us, my friends. And he holds us in the grip of his love. Our sustaining life in this difficult season is, is not down to how strong we think our faith is, because it's often weak, but on how tightly God holds us in the grip of his love and his grace. And it is unshakable. It is an unshakable holding of us, even when our hearts tremble. And that should tell us a couple of things about God right now. Even in the midst of all of the disruption, all of the pain, all of the questions, with everything shaking, asking who's in charge, where are the answers going to come from, here's the first thing about God you need to know. God is sovereign. He is enthroned on the praises of his people, and he sits enthroned at the flood, the psalmist said, before it and after it. Jesus said, I am the conqueror of hell and death. I have the keys of both of those domains. I'm the one who was and is and is to come. And you can see that in these texts, as Paul writes. He says in Romans 8, 28, a verse I know many of you know is my mom's favorite verse. God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Did you hear that? God is going to somehow take everything that's happening around us, everything that's happening inside of us, everything we're experiencing right now, and cause that to work for his glory and our good. Now you say, well, that's, that just seems to be a Pollyanna approach. No, it's not. It doesn't mean that we just take a sanguine quesera, quesera sort of approach to this thing. No, no, not at all. What it means is we have an active trust in his power. Joseph could have asked in a prison in Egypt, Lord, what are you doing? Why am I in this? And yet the scriptures say God was with Joseph. And in the end, it meant salvation for the whole world. Esther could have asked, why are you letting all this happen to me? Why is all of this going on? There's a decree that's been issued to kill all the Jewish people. Those are my people. They're going to kill me too. All this terrible thing is going to happen. But that wasn't what Esther did. Her uncle said to her, Mordecai said to her, you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Friends, we don't know why all of these things are happening around us. But here's what we do know. Like our brothers and sisters who've lived before us across the centuries, we have been given this opportunity, this moment, when there is great uncertainty, when there is great disaster, when there is great disease, when there is great fear, to step into it. Listen to what Esther said. She said, I'll go in. If I perish, I perish. That's the heart of God's people across the centuries who say, I don't know why all this is happening, but I trust. When Job saw all the, that afflicted him, it says he didn't curse God, he worshiped God. That's what the heart of faith in the sovereignty of God does, knowing that God is at work in these situations where we can't even see him. 
Here's the truth. Over the next several months, the stories of what God does through you and in you are going to be told. We don't know what those are right now. We don't know how this is all going to work out. But we know that God is at work in it. We don't know what the future holds. We know who holds the future. And he holds us in the grip of his grace and his love, and it will not let us go. God is this sovereign God. And here's the second thing you need to know about this God. He's not simply a distant king. He is the God who is for us. How do you know that God is for you? This is what Paul says. What shall we say to these things? This is verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Did you hear that? God is for you. How do you know? At the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The questions of pain and suffering, the questions of betrayal and aloneness, of isolation came to him. But did that suffering not work for your good and God's glory in bringing about a great salvation for this whole world? Yes, it did. We don't know how all this will work out, but we do know that we are the beloved of God, that God is the one who is for us because the cross stands at a certain point in history and the Holy Spirit is at work right now to grab hold of our hearts and grab hold of our eyes and help us to look right there and see what God has done and say, see, do you see that cross? Do you see that suffering Savior? Do you see the one who has sent the Holy Spirit to intercede for you? That's the one who is for you. Because in the face of our groaning, God hears us and comes to deliver us. He sends the Spirit to intercede. And listen to this. He, it says in Romans chapter 8, talking about Jesus, is at the right hand of God interceding for us. So it's not only the Holy Spirit who's interceding for us. Get this. Jesus himself is interceding for us. The great Scottish pastor, theologian, Robert Murray McShane said, if I could hear Jesus praying for me in the next room, what a difference that would make. Can you imagine that experience? You could overhear Jesus' prayers for you, his intercession for you. And he said, it does not matter that I cannot hear him. I know he is praying for me, and that makes all the difference. You have become a believer in Jesus because Christ interceded for you at the cross. You remain a believer in Jesus because he intercedes for you at the right hand of the Father. My friends, this God who is for you will never let you go. And that is why Paul says, life, death, principalities and powers, things present, things to come, the unimaginable, unexpected, unanticipated things, nothing will ever be able to separate us from that love. Here's something eternal. Here's something that's unshakable so that you can be an unshaken people. And that means we need to understand a little bit, just a couple of things 
about how we respond as unshaken people, citizens of an unshakable kingdom. What does that look like? What do we do now? Well, here's, here's the first thing. I'm just going to give you a phrase. Listen to this. Trusting thankfulness. Trusting thankfulness. Do you know one of the greatest combatants against fear? Thanksgiving. You're going to get inundated with fear, uncertainty. Turn your heart to God in thanks. Thankful people. God, you've got this. You've got me. You've got the people I love. In life and in death, whether we live or we die, in abundance or in need, you've got us. We are yours. You see, over the centuries, God's people have learned this. I saw this in the story of a pastor who I admire named Martin Rinkhart. He lived and served in the 1630s and 1640s in Germany during the Thirty Years' War in Europe when there was wholesale slaughter. It was a nightmare scenario. And then marching in behind uh, the pale horse of, of war came the terrible horse of plague running rampant through that culture. And thousands were dying. In Rinkert's parish alone, 4,000 people died in a single year of plague. On one day, when he had buried 30 parishioners, 30, think about that, in a single day, he went home exhausted, meager possessions, and hardly any provision in his home for himself, his wife, and his children. And he sat down and he wrote the words to a hymn, which many of you will know, which tell us about thankful trust. In the middle of plague, in the middle of war, in the middle of disaster, he wrote words which I'm going to have Barney sing for you now. Listen to this message. Know the most important word in that? Now. Now thank we all our God. In the midst of disease, in the midst of death, in the midst of impoverishment, now thank we all our God. With hearts and hands and voices who wondrous things has done, in whom his world rejoices, who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today, now. In the middle of all the uncertainty, in the middle of all the shaking, in the middle of all the reports of uncertainty and disease, in the middle of nations shutting down, now, right now, we trust 
and we thank. Now thank we, all our God, with hearts and hands and voices. And in the middle of that, here's what we're going to do. Here's the last thing. Faithful service. Faithful service. Trusting thanks, faithful service. We are not going to be those who, in the face of the ferocity of this storm, turn around and retreat. We're going to come face to face with our God, face to face with every enemy, face to face with the need around us, and with wisdom and grace, we're going to move into this world knowing that God is for us. I'm going to quote another German pastor, one I quoted earlier, Martin Luther. Luther was asked in the middle of a great plague how he would go about responding to people in need. And he wrote back an answer saying, here's, here's what I would do. Listen to this. Here's Luther's letter. How do I serve in the middle of all of this plague and disease? I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I will avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will find me doing what he has expected of me so that I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others if my neighbor needs me. However, I shall go, I shall go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and it does not tempt God. That's good counsel. Not foolhardy, doing all that is necessary, all that is wise, but then lovingly, humbly, fearlessly, knowing that we are His, and that nothing, not even death, can separate us from his love, we move towards the need with the grace and the kindness of Jesus. We don't move towards stores hoarding things for ourselves. We move towards the need, sharing with all the resources we've been given. My friends, that's what Christians have always done. That's what we're going to do now, because God is going to give us the grace to do it. And that's why Paul ends this passage this way. What shall we say to these things? Are we not just considered as sheep to be slaughtered? Sheep to be slaughtered? Is that our end? What's Paul's answer? No. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing will separate us from his love. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you that you have given the gift of your Son to unite us to yourself, to make us yours forever. Thank you that in our weakness you do not tell us to do better, but you send us the mighty Holy Spirit to fill us and to lead us. Thank you that in our sinfulness you did not condemn us but you saved us and forgave us. Thank you that in the midst of these sorrows and uncertainties and pains, you have not left us without a guide and you have not left us without the awareness of your presence. You have not left us without the assurance that you are sovereign and that you will be at work in this. And so, Lord, 
because we do not yet know what even tonight or tomorrow holds, we come to you. And we plead for mercy. Hear the cry of your people and deliver us from evil, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I'm going to invite you to confess your faith with me this morning. And what we're going to do is use um, the Heidelberg Catechism, a well-known question and answer. It's beautiful. It's one of the most amazing ways we can affirm what we've been talking about this morning from Romans chapter 8. You can follow it along there in your sheets that you've downloaded. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Let's say it together. My only comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Amen. Because of him, we can go on living and serving. You know, at this point in our service on Sunday morning, I'd say it's time for us to receive our offering. Well, it is. Because the work goes on. The work of ministry among us, the work of our missionaries in all nations, the help that we're getting to other people, all of this is essential work that has to happen. And so now our opportunities to give within the life of this church are confined to a mail-in gift or online giving. It's important that we continue to those good practices of sharing, of cultivating radical generosity in our heart. So I would point you towards those opportunities to continue to support the work that is going on here at Christ Community and through Christ Community in this city and in all nations. Let's pray for God's blessing on that. Lord, we are in need this morning as your people. More grace. We humble ourselves. Grant us that. There are those around us in need. Help us to meet those needs with the provision you supply. And Lord, for the work that this church does, we pray that you will abundantly provide for that work too. And we thank you for this. Would you please grant to each of us hearts that reflect your generosity, and we bless you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you, my friends.